Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming the previous curator of Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge and currently the curator of mammals at Riverbank Zoo in Columbia, South Carolina, Greg Pecky. Welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to share all of your experiences with us. But for some of my listeners who might not be familiar with who you are, can you give a brief introduction as to who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, I'm the mammal curator of the Riverbank Zoo, uh, as she said, in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I actually grew up just about an hour north of here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so for me, coming to Columbia was kind of a coming home. Uh, I was pretty excited about that. And I think in these last couple of years uh, in the animal care field, we've seen a lot of people kind of making that decision as uh, we're dealing with the pandemic. People are, are realizing that family really means means a lot and Absolutely. Uh, we've had a lot of folks uh picking up and moving trying to get back home and and I kind of did the same thing I've got siblings over here and and good friends over here on the east coast so I wanted to come back here but uh I actually started my career uh doing an internship at White Oak Conservation Center in North Florida and like many of us, uh, when I was in school, I was like, well, I like animals. Uh, you know, maybe I want to be a vet. And you don't say maybe you want to be a vet. Um, but <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize zookeeping was uh, was a path. And uh, I did that internship and absolutely fell in love. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, but even before that, uh, just to share, um, I was on a spring break trip with a couple of buddies of mine and my dad, and we went down to Florida to watch the spring training baseball. And one of the days, my dad was like, what do you want to do? We're in central Florida. I said, I want to go to SeaWorld. And, uh, as you do. As you do. And uh, it was sitting in the in the stands and and watching the trainers interacting with the dolphins that I said, I, that I, I've got to do that. That's just, I, I need to work with animals. Um, and so that's where the passion started, but that internship turned into a full-time job. Um, and then I have actually, I was a keeper at the Fort Worth Zoo in Texas for a little bit, um, went out to Disney uh, back in 98, uh, started as an animal keeper over at the Animal Kingdom Park. And then with the opening of Animal Kingdom Lodge, uh, being just off the property from Animal Kingdom, I was excited to work postdoc and birds in a big mixed species savanna setting, and and I was real excited about that. So I went over there as a keeper and worked into the supervisor role, eventually a curator. And after seventeen some years there, I said, "Let's see what else is out there." And <laughs> stops at Nashville Zoo, uh, Henry Vilas Zoo up in Madison, Wisconsin, for a little bit. And then an opportunity came up for me to go to the uh, San Diego Zoo Safari Park. So I was there most recently uh, for a couple of years. Um, and I actually uh, worked very closely with one of your previous guests. Uh, with Christy. Dr. Dr. Christy Burtis. Um, it, was, it was a joy to work with her. Um, but that calling uh, to bring me back to the East Coast and an opportunity mm. came up 
here. And, and I, I, I needed to get back down, uh, back down to my roots, which was uh, supervising a smaller team and getting closer to the animal care, which is definitely what I'm doing now. So that's yeah, my, I mean, that's it's my story. quite a career, honestly, like where, where to even begin. So, you know, you, you had that first spark of inspiration at SeaWorld, which is technically with marine mammals, but you definitely kind of went the route of a more terrestrial traditional zoo rather than the marine mammal route. Was there a reason for that? Or was it because when you started your internship and then got the job from that, that's just kind of where your experience landed? Yeah, I think that is one of the things that uh, when I give advice to people who are starting out, um, and, and it's changed a little bit now, but it, it used to be that you could definitely get pigeonholed. If you, yeah. started, if you started working with a certain species, you were probably going to get stuck because people will say, oh, well, we're looking for somebody with marine mammal experience. Mm. Well, I don't, I don't have any, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be able to help you there. Um, but yeah, it, it honestly started with, um, you know, I was taking some marine sciences and, and I was wondering if uh, marine mammal or, or even just any other um, group of animals at like a SeaWorld or marine park might be what I wanted. But um, the internship, I, I just started to fall in love with um, really the, the hoofstock. Um, I, I thought of them as the underdogs and it was almost comical to talk to folks who were trainers of animals and like getting an animal that is ultimately a food item and is scared all the time to come into a barn yeah. and to do what you want it to do. I mean, that's, that's pretty exciting. So, so having a Thompson's gazelle or a giraffe who really likes to stare off into space, um, <laughs> you know, getting some of those animals to do the things that you, you wanted them to do and, and to participate in their own care. That was exciting to me. So, so I almost kind of took it as a challenge. Everybody just, Oh, dumb hoofstock. And I was like, man, they're, it, if you put me in their world, they'd laugh at me at how stupid I was. So it's kind of hard to, you know, call any animal dumb. Um, but yeah, that I, I started doing the terrestrial stuff and haven't looked back. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely so much validity in saying, you know, you have the kind of foundations of training, but you definitely have to adapt your techniques and your approaches depending on not only what species you're working with, but each individual. You know, one individual giraffe is going to respond differently to another giraffe is going to be different to a dolphin or a gorilla. So when you were starting off working with terrestrials, did you find an affinity with any certain species? Um, you know, that's always, that's always tough when people are, what's your favorite animal? I mean, you can't pick a favorite animal because, uh, the minute I would fall in love with, uh, working with one species, I'd start working with a new species and I'd be like, wow, okay, this is, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when people pin me down and they're like, you know, what's, what's your favorite animal? Um, I, I got too many, but you know, how do you, how do you go from training a meerkat to, training a pelican to training a giraffe. I mean, it's, they're all so different, but I do, you know, you were commenting about the, the kind of the hoofstock. One of the things that's cool about it is you almost have to deal with two different situations. You've got the individual of the herd, but then you've got the herd. Mm. And, and so when you're training the entire group, 
you have to think differently. And sometimes the individual personalities of the animals can come into play to help you train the herd. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that happens a lot when you've got one animal that is more people acclimated and it kind of brings the, the rest of the herd kind of down and they're not as flighty. Mm -hmm. Um, you can use, you can use that to your advantage, um, as you're trying to train the other animals in the group. Um, so I think that's, that's one part of it that was that is also kind of fun from a trainer perspective is you do have the individual animal personalities, but then you've got the herd mentality that you have to train around as well. Yeah, super interesting. And, you know, I think what for me, what really stands out about your career is you went somewhere that's not known to the general public as a quote unquote traditional zoo. You know, people don't associate Disney with zoo so what made you head over to animal kingdom first uh i think when animal kingdom was first uh kind of <laughs> being put together mm -hmm. i guess um there was definitely a lot of doubt um i had it uh, a lot of people had it they're like oh this is going to be a nightmare how is this going to mm. go um and the more you started to look into it the more you started to realize the resources that they were putting in and some of the stuff that they were talking from the very beginning one of the things that that probably stood out the most to me is um at the time uh, back in 98 uh zoos were still you know you feed them you clean them and if you have time you can train them and, mm -hmm. and maybe you'll throw some enrichment but we don't really know what that means and for Animal Kingdom to commit and say, we, we are going to be bringing in very large teams of people because training and enrichment is not a thing you do when you have time. It's a, it's a critical component to the job. And, uh, and to make that a job necessity, mm -hmm. uh, I think was a really, really strong statement to make. And, uh, and they backed it up. Uh, so that was from the very beginning, it was while there was some trepidation and how is this going to go? Um, it, I think they were putting the pieces in place the right way. So that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah, they definitely set themselves up well. And, you know, they do have a fantastic reputation, but even for me, just having, you know, like a lay person's tid <laughs> tidbits that I've heard, like they have some really innovative things that go on in their exhibits is there not something about like the lion's rock is like air conditioned or something yeah they uh and and a lot of you know it, it was it was great when you can build a zoo from scratch yeah which which is what they did I mean there there aren't very many European zoos that you know, are just a couple of years old. Um, and uh, there oh, are no, I'll tell you, the amount of zoos over here. It's like we are doing the best that we can with the crumbling facility that we currently have. <laughs> 100, 100, 200 years old. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And uh, most of the zoos here in the States, it's the same thing. So for Animal Kingdom to build from scratch mm. and to bring folks from so many different zoos into it, mm -hmm. um, you know, we had the ability to say, man, if you're going to build this, please make the drains bigger. If you're going to build this, please make sure that the floor slopes. The yes, right I was just about to <laughs> please make sure the floor slopes towards the drain. Like you think but, that would be common sense. No. And the reality <laughs> is, is we've got just as many, you know, when, when I was there, we had just as many frustrations with drains not working. And we're like, oh, how do no. you do that? How do you do that? No, we don't, we don't get it. Every zookeeper, every. Everything um, 
that any zookeeper has complained about or been frustrated with. It happens at Disney too. It happens at San Diego. It happens everywhere. Um, nobody's got it right. There is no perfect facility yeah. um, from a structural standpoint as well as from a managerial standpoint. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Even down to a hose that won't roll up properly. It's yeah, crazy. we're all fighting different battles. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to order a bunch more hoses uh, when I go back to the office because I was like, all right, I'm buying three of them. I need three of you to test them out and we're, we're picking the best one and I'm going to buy a bunch of them. We'll yeah. see how long, see how long they last. People think it's such a glamorous job. Um, <laughs> was it different working as a zookeeper for Disney as it is working for any other zoo? Yeah, I think one of the big things, uh, we, we had a lot of turnover um, in those first year, year or two, uh, mainly because there were so many folks that came to Disney with the idea of, oh, cool, I'll go work for Disney. Um, and I don't know what they were thinking, but I don't know if you're familiar with Disney, there is a very, very strong guest component. And yeah. so the interaction with the guests, I think, scared a lot of zookeepers. Oh, and, okay. and it was like, wait a minute, like, why did you not think that that's what you were going to be doing? And I realize a lot of us animal people, we're not people people. That's why mm -hmm. we work with animals. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, the, the, the absolute strongest thing that came out of my time at Disney is the realization that zookeepers are the most impactful people really when it comes to connecting people to animals. Yeah. It's, it's the interaction with the zookeeper that does it. It's not just seeing the animal, it's seeing the animal, but seeing the keeper down there interacting mm -hmm. um, and having a relationship with those animals. And so being a keeper at Disney, knowing that that was going to be a huge passion for the company, um, I, it was a, it was an easy fit for, for me just because I love talking to people about how awesome the animals were. And quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the Animal Kingdom Lodge because mm. that's a hotel. People are done with all their running around at the park, the craziness. At Animal Kingdom, you might be able to talk to somebody for 45 seconds, but they got to go run yeah. into the next thing. Whereas mm -hmm. at Animal Kingdom, they're done running. And you could see, I mean, I've got folks that, invited me to dinner they were like you gotta sit down with, you gotta sit down with us and that's actually how we started the the lunch with animal programs or mm. dine with animal specialists I don't remember what they call it now but um it was a lunch literally with a member of my team and they just they sat there they had lunch multi-course lunch meal with people and and talked about zookeeping and what we did at the lodge and and it was where it was, where can I get a job like that I want to be paid to talk about animals <laughs> and eat that sounds yeah. fantastic. It was, there was a little bit of resistance from the team when we were first creating it. But then after they had a few lunches, they were like, all right, this isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. You know, there's definitely certain people who are very well suited to being front of house and working with guests and having that liaison between the people and the animals. And yes, there are definitely others who prefer to be just with the animals me personally I think I'm somewhere in the middle if you put me too much in front of the people I'm about to have a breakdown and if you put me squirreled away just with the animals I'm I need some human interaction um so was that what really prompted you to go for the job at Animal Kingdom Lodge was that guest-based interaction 
It, it wasn't the primary reason. The, the, the main reason really had more to do with the, the people, the, the folks that I knew were, who were going to be working there mm. um, and kind of starting it up. I wanted to be a part of that starting team and working mm-hmm. with those folks. So really it was being a member of the opening team, being one of the first zookeepers that was brought on board when it was still under construction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I remember us going to pick up the very first animals. So it was the ground up mentality that I really wanted. But it wasn't until after I got there that I had the realization of, you know, these hotel people, they, they just, they just want to chill. And, and so <laughs> it, it, it became an extra benefit that, that was noticed after the fact. So the lodge and animal kingdom itself, because I perhaps wrongly was under the impression that they shared animals. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people didn't realize that it's two completely separate facilities. The hotel itself, for, for me to drive from where our barn offices were um, over to Animal Kingdom, like where the vet hospital was, would be a couple of kilometers. So, okay. So it's, it's completely separate. We had, we had our own group of just over 200 mammals and birds in about 33 acres of, of Savannah. Amazing. So what, like for guests that come to stay, obviously I know what Animal Kingdom Lodge is and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this podcast also know what it is. Um, what what does staying at Animal Kingdom Lodge as a guest look like? Like what is available to you with the animals? <laughs> so one of my favorite stories, now you got to <clears throat> understand, we're all, we're all animal people. We're all zoo people. Yeah. We, we can't afford to stay at Animal Kingdom Lodge. <laughs> like, oh, I would bankrupt myself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculously expensive. But um, the beauty of Animal Kingdom Lodge is you don't need a ticket. So you can go there for lunch. You can go there for dinner and you can walk yeah. around and you can see the animals and you can enjoy the hotel uh, just by going and walking around. I mean, that's that's one of the things I always told my friends. It's, it's like, just just go, just go for lunch. Like, mm-hmm. like go see it. Um, but uh, one of my favorite stories, uh, uh, John Stewart, um, what, the comedian, was was staying at the hotel, and um, his wife was pretty much his kind of manager, and and she'd do all the bookings and coordinating, and of course coordinating the family and the kids and everything. So she's like, oh yeah, we're staying at Animal Kingdom Lodge and they booked the room. And uh, when there's a high level VIP um, like that, we'll have somebody from the front desk, a manager walk with them just so they don't get accosted in the hallways and things like that. Um, and they were checking in. <laughs> my, my friend who worked the front desk was, was telling me the story. They went to check him into the room and they go into the room and the you know, valet sets their bags down and um, the, the hotel uh, front desk managers telling them, you know, okay, we have these amenities. Here's some things you can do. Make sure the kids uh, take advantage of the activities with our, our cultural reps. And John Stewart just stops and he goes, whoa, there's a giraffe. And he's pointing, <laughs> he's pointing out the window and, and he's like, yeah, yes, sir. The, and he goes, no, it's like right there. <laughs> he had no clue he was just like whatever we're going to disney we're staying at a hotel he had no clue that you walk right out on the balcony and there's giraffe and zebras and wildebeest and cranes and stuff like right below your room out mm-hmm. there in the savannah so i mean it is a it is a unique setup um you know even if you were to go stay in something similar in africa um you're 
probably not going to have a bunch of animals right outside the room. Don't tell me that. I'm going to Tanzania in two months. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will be amazing, but um, Animal Kingdom Lodge, if you're not going to make it over to Africa, Animal mm-hmm. Kingdom Lodge is definitely a trip that, that you have to make. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it as well, you know, for people who don't have the privilege of traveling the world and going to all of these far-flung places where you're going to see exotic mammals like that. You can go to places like Animal Kingdom or Animal Kingdom Lodge or, you know, Riverbanks where you are now and see them there. Yeah, and, and you know, that that was always cool when, you, when you'd be talking to the guests and um, they'd walk out on their balcony to, you know, have their cup of coffee and we'd, we'd have work to do. So we'd be running around out there and you'd stop and you'd look up and you'd say, good morning. And, you know, hope you slept well. And when somebody, <laughs> when somebody says, oh, I didn't sleep, I've been sitting on the balcony listening to giraffe chew all night long. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's pretty funny. So. It is. It is. There is something incredibly special with being able to share those kind of like little intimate moments with animals, you know, regardless of what animal it is, you know, like you said, just sitting on your balcony, drinking your coffee, being around those animals. I remember my first ever volunteering position was at a safari park. And every morning when we were cleaning the sea lion pool, we would hear the lion pride wake up. And there was just something, I don't even know how to describe it, like visceral like in your body that just responds to it like not in a fearful way but in like a oh my goodness that is incredible like the way that that sound travels and I think for the zookeepers as well like we were in the park so early we were the only ones that would ever really hear that it was that's that's incredible well, you're going to hear it in Tanzania and don't, don't take off running. <laughs> oh, I won't. My husband might. I keep, I keep sending him all of these videos of like close animal encounters of like cheetahs climbing on the top of the Jeep and being like, I hope this happens to us. And he's like, you're insane. You are unhinged. Like all of these like elephants coming right up to the Jeep. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope that's us. And he's like, we're going to die. <laughs> That's part of the risk. Come on. You only live once. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so what were some of the things that you learned working at Disney that are specifically, I don't know, maybe inherent to Disney itself that you've taken on with you further in your career? Sure. Um, I think, you know, earlier you were you were making a reference to what was it like working for Disney? Disney is this amusement park. It, you know, yeah. we, don't, we don't think of it as a zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually came up. Um, uh, one of the things that Disney also has is the Disney Institute. Um, it is a set of programs that uh, companies can bring in their, you know, folks to do week-long courses, seminars. Uh, some of the courses you can just take for a few hours. Um, you know, so there's there's a bunch of opportunity for uh, that um, professional learning as well, business learning. Mm-hmm. And so I was asked to come in and be a part of a um, culture class. Uh, And it was about defining culture and what is the culture in your business and how was it, you know, having a zoo mentality come into Disney and how did those blend together? And Mm -hmm. and basically the gist of my talk was it's not that zoo mentality is different. It's, it's the same. It was, we're speaking the same language. 
maybe our accent's a little different, um, but we're speaking the same language. So I think culture for me um, was something that I was able to take away from that. And if you don't have the right culture, and, and culture is a big word, and we can dive into that, but if you don't have the right culture, you're never going to have the success. Um, and uh, I think what I've seen in, in as I've traveled around, um, you you better sit down and define the culture you want because there is a culture. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times when you start asking people what that culture is, it's not gonna line up with what you want as a leader, whether mm. you're a director, whether you're a curator, whether you're whatever, just a supervisor of a team, you gotta try to get on the same page with what do we want our culture to be? We, we you know, One of the things I talk about that I get frustrated with, there's too many situations where work environments, especially in zoos, um, where there's not a culture of trust. Mm-hmm. It's, it's distrust. And, and quite honestly, everybody's walking around afraid to make a mistake because they're going to get yelled at. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible culture to live in. So it's one of the things we talked about. And I talked about, I've only been here nine months and it was one of the very first things in my first month. I said, okay, we, we have to create a culture where you will be allowed to make a mistake. I'm going to hold you accountable. Absolutely. Yeah. There should mm-hmm. be accountability, but not you know, one mistake, it's a mistake, two mistakes. Hey, it's a mistake. Let's work through it. Um, and, and I think in many places that I have worked, um, that hasn't always been the culture and, and that quite honestly, it sucks. Why do you (laughs) think that is? Um, I, I, you know, we always joke around, uh, when we, when we talk leadership stuff, um, in the zoo field, many of the zoo leadership, you know, we were good zookeepers you know, we were good, we were good trainers. And they said, well, you're doing good. You've been here for a while. Why don't you be the supervisor? Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you give me the skills to be a supervisor? Well, Mm -hmm. we don't really know what those are, but good luck. You'll get it. And that's, (laughs) and that's what most of the leadership has been is folks that have just worked up, but didn't really have the skills and didn't, didn't, you know, or maybe there's somebody above them that's yelling, why are Mm -hmm. these mistakes happening? You need to make these mistakes stop happening. You need to start reprimanding people. Mm -hmm. Well, a reprimand shouldn't be fearful. It should Mm -hmm. be accountability. And, and so I spend, I've spent a lot of time working on leadership development, um, people development, uh, servant leadership stuff is definitely, I'm, I'm very heavily involved in that. And, you know, I've been keeper, supervisor, curator, general curator, mammal curator. I've, I've been up the ladder. I've been down the ladder. Um, and honestly, I've made my leadership style because I want to be the leader I never had. So that's, that's where a lot of it comes from. Yeah. I love that. I think, yeah, I think a lot of us are out there trying to foster better work environments than what we were we ourselves were subjected to and I think you can be one of two people you can either be the person who works to improve it or you can be the person who's sitting there saying well I had to go through it so you will too um what are some of the things that you've learned that help foster a trust a trusting and a good work environment uh probably the biggest thing is just listen Mm -hmm. um I think I've I've scared my team um (laughs) in in the various places i've worked because after i after i get in and get situated and and i just did it a couple months ago i just said hey team i've you know i'm approaching my six month mark um i'm going to send you a a survey just a series of questions one page um 
you can print it out, fill it out, put it in my mailbox. I'll put a, I'll put an envelope in there. You don't have to put your name on it. Um, I just want to know how I'm doing. What are, what are the things that I'm doing well? What are the things I need to work on? Um, I ask questions like, is there a particular part of your day that you would like for me to come see so I can understand more of what you go through? Um, and uh, one of the questions was, is there something here that really frustrates you that you want me to be aware of? And the beauty of it is 25 people. I think I got 20 responses and not a single one of them didn't have their name on it. Good. So I think you just, you got to start with listening. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the other thing that is hugely important is I'm very passionate about explaining the whys behind decisions because mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't get that. I was just told, go do it. And I was like, but that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Help mm -hmm. me make it sense. Mm -hmm. Make it make sense so that I know why you're making this decision. So I can make this decision in the future. And I was like, I don't have time for that. Just go do it. And I was like, well, that, that's not how I work. So <laughs> explaining the whys behind decisions and then listening um, and, and then being honest. I mean, there are definitely times where it's like, Hey, I don't like it either, but this is a direction we have to go. And, you know, we, we work here. I, I think I've, yeah. I, one of my uh, Greg isms that uh, I always have these different sayings and these things I come up with. Um, but there's uh, understanding agreement and action and I want you to understand where we're coming from, where I'm coming from. I'd love for you to agree, but we might not agree. But the action at the end of the day is you work here, I work here. We got a job to do, so we got to do it. You, you may not agree, but, and you may not understand. Um, and truthfully, if, that, if it happens too much, which it did for me, one of the places I worked, I did not agree with a disciplinary action. I was not on board with it. I was 100% against it. Um, and when, when that person got terminated, I actually gave my notice because I was like, I've seen not, that happen before too. I was like, I'm not doing it. I can't, how can I go back to my team with a straight face and say that I'm going to protect them yeah. when I can't. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, that's not an environment for me. And I don't, I mean, there's other reasons to get an ulcer and that ain't it. <laughs> that, ain't, that, ain't the, that ain't the reason. That's not the hill you're willing to die on. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, you heard me, I've bounced around. I've worked in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of them have been fun reasons. Uh, some of them have been, yeah, things haven't been great. So. I think the important takeaway is that if all of us can kind of try our best to improve upon what we've been shown, you know, I've definitely had my fair share of supervisors that I've not agreed with. And I've also had some truly incredible supervisors who, like you said, took the time to explain every decision actively because they wanted me to grow and the rest of the team to grow and hopefully one day to be able to fill their shoes. You know, you don't learn if things aren't explained to you. So yeah, I think if you can be that role model for other people in whatever capacity, then you know, I think everyone can be a role model. It doesn't matter what position you have on the team. You know, you could be the newest hire and you can still be a role model for even your supervisor. You can remind them of, you know, the value of hard, nitty gritty work. You know, I think, yeah, teamwork, go team. We, we, we talk about that a lot too, that um, um, every single person is in leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you're, there's no, leadership is not a title. 
so I think too many people feel that, well, I can't really have any influence on my team because I'm not the lead keeper or I'm not the supervisor or I'm not a senior or whatever. We hear that a lot. And the reality is keepers have a heck of a lot of influence on their fellow keepers um, and the success of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it when I see people step up and uh, take on that. I am leading the team and they don't, they don't realize that that's leadership. Like you have keepers who are looking at you and, and asking your opinion about how the day should progress. That's leadership. And they're like, Oh, well, I've never thought of it that way. And I, th- I do think um, when folks start to realize the, the power that they do have mm-hmm. um, in any role that they have, that's when you start seeing teams um, kind of shift over into the real performing um, and, and succeeding. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. You know, everything that you've just said, I think is very, you know, full of incredible advice and inspiring for people who are not only wanting to get into the zoo field, but people, you know, who are potentially already in it. So thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, sit down with me and chat through all of these things. Um, I know you're super busy, so I definitely appreciate it. (laughs) No worries. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully some folks listening to the podcast, um, if, if they're already in the field, I hope they're inspired to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need them uh, yep. to, to keep taking care of animals, keep raising the bar. Um, you know, don't, don't just put your head down and do your job. Your job is too amazing uh, for that to be something that happens. Um, constantly push. And, and seriously, if, uh, if you're not getting what you want out of the place, then, then try to make a change. And if you can't, Maybe, maybe the change is, is you going somewhere else and, and find another niche. So, um, but I think um, folks that are not in the field yet that want to get into the field, it's hard. It doesn't pay well, um, but it's also one of the most emotionally rewarding things that, yeah. you know, that you can do. So, so it is a lot of fun. It's tough, but, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun and it is so worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us this week, Greg. Uh, You're very welcome, Hazel. Good luck with everything. And uh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help in the future. Okay. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus. And I will see you guys next week.